Think sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If the failing New York Times has an anonymous editorial, can you believe it? Anonymous, meaning gutless, a gutless editorial. Uh, we're doing a great job. The poll numbers are through the roof. Our poll numbers are great. And guess what? Nobody is going to come close to beating me in 2020 because of what we've done. I, I will say that I did willingly violate the chair's rule on the committee confidential process. Uh, I take full responsibility for violating that, sir. And I violate it because I, I sincerely believe that the public deserves to know this nominee's record. In this particular case, his record on issues of race and the law. So you're talking about the public right to know. You want to give up your emails right now? Make them public? I don't think you do. And now, Stacey Washington. Oh, yeah. Welcome back to Stacey on the Ride here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's great to be with you today. So much breaking news and so much to get into. So who's on the show? <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm excited. My first time ever getting to interview Dr. Richard Land. He's going to come on today and talk to us about the Supreme Court nomination, um, the hearings that are going on that refer to uh, Justice Kavanaugh and his performance thus far, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be great to talk to him. And then in hour two, we are going to talk to Stephen Solomon, who is a often guest on the show. He's often on the program, and he's coming on to discuss with us um, news of the day, and of course, um, this FB Facebook, uh, Facebook discriminating against conservatives. And so I've seen a bit of that, and we'll discuss it. And, uh, you know, go to AFR.net, which is the website for American Family Radio. Go to UrbanFamilyTalk.com. That's for Urban Family. And uh, let's get into the program. So listen, the news from today that we were supposed to be all up in arms about was that Cory Booker, a senator from New Jersey and soon to be 2020 presidential candidate, he wants to pull vault ahead of Kamala Harris and he wants to be that individual who would uh, be able to do the part two of Barack Obama's uh, successful runs at the presidency. And so he needs to make a name for himself. He needs to find a way to... Uh, kind of cement his ability to command the news cycle. And so he took a document, a, a series of documents that were actually approved for release late last night, and he threatened to release them as if they were still committee confidential. So we're going to unpack all of that. And, and um, during the program, we're going to discuss whether or not it's really the right thing for different committees and different presidential administrations to keep documents classified and keep them away from the eyes of the American people. And I'm, I'm always about sunlight and we have something called sunshine laws here in the state of Missouri. And I learned all about them when I was on school board and I'm a huge proponent of taxpayers being able to review documents and records. And I also believe in the chain of, of, uh, of ownership and the, the, people that are closest to those documents should be the ones to determine whether or not they are classified in nature and how much of that can be released to the public and at what times. Not because I don't believe we have the right to know. Quite contrary to that, I believe we do have the right to know and we deserve the opportunity to review documents. But I also understand that there are certain national security concerns that come into play 
and they're the reason that we have the classification system that we have because it isn't always the right of taxpaying citizens to know that trumps the requirement that we keep certain information out of the hands of our enemies who coincidentally our enemies read our newspapers they read our websites they pay attention to our magazines our enemies are intimately acquainted with our media and all of the information dissemination sources that we utilize so you've got Cory Booker and it's a straight up performance he in this audio clip dares the senate to expel him over knowingly violating the rules and compares himself to hold on a second yes spartacus it's number one the idea that we could somehow go through your lengthy process and these documents are many of these documents are dumped us in the last minute but to senator Cornyn actually made a very good point i knowingly violated the rules that were put forth and i'm told that the committee confidential rules have knowing consequences and so, sir, I come from a long line, as all of us do as Americans, and understand what that, that kind of civil disobedience is, and I understand the consequences. So I am right now, before your, before your um, process is finished, I'm going to release the email about racial profiling. And I understand that, that the penalty comes with potential ousting from the Senate. And if Senator Cornyn believes that I violated Senate rules, I, I, I openly invite and accept the consequences of my team releasing that email right now. And I'm releasing it to expose that, number one, the emails that are being withheld from the public have nothing to do with national security, nothing to jeopardize the sanctity of those ideals that I hold dear. Instead, what I'm releasing this document right now to, to show, sir, is that we have a process here for a person the highest office in the land for a lifetime appointment. We're rushing through this before me and my colleagues can even read and digest the information. So do you hear the passion in his voice? The highest office in the land. An opportunity to confirm. Really? So the Supreme Court is the highest office in the land? It's not. The presidency is the highest office in the land. That's first of all. And second of all, um, this, there's nothing unprecedented about not having documents that had nothing to do with his, uh, you know, his, uh, his opinions or his, uh, you know, leading up to him being a, a, a judge. There's nothing that odd about not having that available. Um, so we covered that. I, I'm not going to kind of rehash that. That was yesterday's show, and you can uh, find the podcast at AFR.net and Urban Family Talk. And that, and, but it's just an amazing thing to listen to him, the way he's, his voice is trembling. And boy, the, the video of it is just it's outstanding to watch. Get your popcorn ready. He's in full acting mode. But the committee had already approved these documents for release the night before. So either he wasn't there, and that's something he's he you know you can you can say that about Cory Booker. He often misses votes, but perhaps he wasn't in the committee room when the approval was made, and his staff members didn't notify him, or he knew that, but he needed something with which to propel his name into the top of the news cycle, and he felt this would work. Whatever the case may be, it's not as he says. Now, Senator Cornyn actually lit into Booker for his comments. And I thought 
it was pretty interesting because Senator Cornyn doesn't often get worked up, yet here he is. He's 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 pretty firm. It's number two. Can I ask you how long you're going to say the same thing three or four times? No, sir. I, I, I'm, long, saying, I'm saying. How long do you want? Today? I'm saying I'm knowingly violating the rules. Okay. Senator Cornyn called me out gonna, for it. How many times I, I you going to tell us, sir? I've say, I'm saying right now that I'm releasing. I'm releasing committee Mr. confidential Mr. documents. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman, I'm, Mr. since Mr. the senator invoked my can name, I, I do can I, insist on an opportunity to respond. Yeah, yeah, I did not you. mention his name. Okay. But he had mentioned my name, <laughs> and he's right. <laughs> Running for president is no excuse for violating the rules of the Senate or of the confidentiality of the documents that we that we are privy to. This is no different from the senator deciding to release classified information that is deemed classified by the executive branch because you happen to disagree with the classification decision. That is irresponsible and outrageous. And I hope that the senator will reconsider his decision because no senator deserves to sit on this committee or serve in the Senate, in my view, if they decide to be a law unto themselves and willingly flout the rules of the Senate and the determination of confidentiality and classification. That is irresponsible and conduct unbecoming a senator. So, yeah, it was. So while he's grandstanding and making an utter not like nuisance of himself. Uh, you just, you just have to, you're thinking to yourself, well, what was the real news that we missed because we were all paying attention to that. And I, I happened to be doing another project this morning. So I was unavailable to Twitter. And when I got back to it just for a couple of minutes, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what have I missed? I see that Spartacus is trending and that, you know, so I actually heard some of the audio earlier in the morning and then I, I go into this prolonged series of meetings and I come back out and Spartacus is trending on Twitter. And so I click and there's just this melee going on with people like Ben Shapiro and others are just tearing into Cory Booker and mocking him for comparing himself to Spartacus. And meanwhile, other uh news is that Russian nuclear bombers were intercepted near Alaska. Russian nuclear bombers were intercepted near Alaska. Now, I know liberals don't like to talk about uh, Alaska anymore now that they can't connect it to Sarah Palin and some spurious comment that she never actually made. But the fact is, that's American territory. It's American soil. And that airspace belongs to us. And Russian bombers, especially those armed with nukes, should not be in our airspace. Now, I remember a day when if you ventured into our airspace, we'd lock onto you to let you know that we could, we could take you down. It's one button. It's one thumb. It's just like a twitch. And boom, you're down. I guess that's not the rule anymore. Um, we did assume a softer military positioning under President Obama. So you've got two Russian nuclear-capable bombers interpreted by American F-22 jets near Alaska. And this is according to Northern Command. The bombers were detected flying near the Aleutian Islands, near, said Michael Kukarek, a spokesman for the Northern Command and North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD. Two Alaskan-based NORAD F-22 fighters intercepted and visually identified two TU-95 Bear long-range bomber aircraft flying in the Alaskan Air Defense Identification Zone south of the Aleutian Islands. Kukarek declined to specify the distance that the bombers flew from the west coast of Alaska, to protect operational security, 
However, the two Russian Tu-95 bomber aircraft were intercepted and monitored by the F-22s until the bombers left the ADIZ along the Aleutian Island chain heading west. At no time did the Russian bombers enter Canadian or United States sovereign airspace. But they were still near Alaska. So testing the waters, you know, dipping a toe in, checking to see if it's, is it warm? Is it lukewarm? Is this thing on? You know, that type of thing. And they were escorted off. The bombers themselves are uh, carrying, capable of carrying the nuclear-tipped KH-55 long-range cruise missile that has a maximum range of up to 1,841 miles. Now, this is uh, under, they're, they're assuming that these bombers were practicing cruise missile strikes on U.S. missile defenses in Alaska. So they're practicing. They're playing a little bit of war game over off our coast. Now, Cobra Dane would be one of the first targets of a Russian air launch cruise missile strike in the early stages of a conflict. What's Cobra Dane? Well, the intercept took place near something called Cobra Dane which is a large phased array radar system that monitors Russian missile launches and aircraft flights. The radar is located at Ericsson Air Station on remote Shemya Island, one of the Aleutians located 1,455 miles west of Anchorage. So they're probing our systems and checking to see what our response times are. I remember being on active duty and we were stationed on a temporary duty assignment in Saudi Arabia And we were there on a rotation to support the no-fly zone uh, operation Desert Shield after Desert Storm. And we would sit on the flight line in our office. We had a radio in there, and we would listen to the pilots chatter. And they would regularly get locked onto by surface-to-air missile units on the ground on the other side. And so they'd be patrolling the no-fly zone and they'd get locked onto. And then they would, you know, they'd do what they had been trained to do. Now, they weren't ever shot at, not while I was there for the 90-day tour that I was, uh, you know, participating in. But it was, it's, it's frightening because when you get locked onto, it's basically, like I said, it's just an itchy finger and you're down. So I just wonder, we were escorting, but did we lock on? I guess that's not something they're going to share. I guess it'd have to be on active duty listening to the radio in the front in the on the flight line office to find that out. But I wonder. All right. When we get back, we're going to have Dr. Richard Land right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hello, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Well, the last two years, we've just had tremendous response, early response to the announcement that we're going to Israel on a Holy Land tour. We're going March of this year. We go March of every year. Last year, we filled up like early fall, and I expect us to fill up early fall this year as well. So if you're interested in this March 14th through the 22nd tour, and you'll be going with primarily supporters of AFA and AFR, Just get the brochure and check it out. You can call us today at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address, and we'll mail you a brochure. If you simply want to go online, all the information is there. It's at twholyland.com, twholyland.com. If you want to go in March, we're filling up, and we're filling up fast. 
So check it out, twholyland.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I grew up in what was then called the Central Ward of Newark, New Jersey. And in our neighborhood, everybody knew each other. And for a kid, this had its drawbacks. It was hard to get away with things. For example, when I was about 12 years old, a couple of my friends and I were smoking behind a building. We thought we'd gotten away with it. But as soon as I walked into our house, my mother said, Oh, so now you're smoking, huh? I said to myself, How in the world does this lady know this? Does she have eyes in the back of her head? What happened was that one of the neighbors had spotted us, and before I could get home, remember, this was before cell phones and the Internet, my mother knew all about it. Boy, did I ever get in trouble. I learned a very important lesson that day. More people are watching us than we realize. But that's not all bad. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, we find that there may also be people watching us who are looking for an opportunity to hurt us. Listen to these words. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Paul says, remember, this is not just your life to live any old way you want. Be sensible. Be an example. Don't give others a reason to say anything bad about you. Demonstrate spiritual sensibility. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Pay close attention to this. Embrace the reality that we are being watched. We need to make sure that we're not doing anything wrong. And obviously, the word will get back. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> it's time for more Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And our next guest is an expert, fantastically well-educated and a leader in Christian ministry and really political thought all over the entire United States and internationally, really, Dr. Richard Land. He's joining us to uh, talk about the antics and uh, details surrounding the hearings around Brett Kavanaugh and his soon-to-be appointment to the Supreme Court of the United States. Dr. Land, thank you for joining us today. It's my delight to be with you. So let's talk about this a bit. We've seen antics. We've seen people allowed into the hearing room. They're sitting there in the back. They wait until a Republican is about to speak, and then they pipe up with screaming and yelling, and they're disrupting the proceedings. But beyond that kind of circus atmosphere, how do you think that Justice Kavanaugh has fared under the scrutiny that he's receiving right now? Well, considering the antics of the protesters and of the Democratic senators on the committee, uh, I think he's doing very well. Um, <clears throat> he's maintaining dignity. Uh, I'm sorry that his daughters had to witness the antics of the first day. But I thought that uh, Senator Lindsey Graham summed it up pretty well this morning. And he said, you know, people have said that these hearings are like a circus. He said, I want to rise in defense of circuses. <laughs> uh, circuses are entertaining, and um, they're fun, and uh, children can attend. He said, these hearings aren't entertaining, they're not fun, and children shouldn't attend. 
<laughs> I couldn't agree with him more. In fact, as you were saying that, as soon as you said circus, I thought back to, you know, five, six years ago, us at the circus with our kids. We were all laughing and eating popcorn and enjoying ourselves. I would not hesitate to take our kids to a circus while I have to say I would not feel comfortable with our children in that room with those protesters no. at the back. I mean, really. No, it it it, it just was um you know, the Democrats uh, on the committee have – now, look, I understand their panic. I understand their panic because they have been ruling the country through non-elected – a non-elected judicial imperium for the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Most of the things that they desperately wanted that they have not been able to get through the legislative process, they've gotten by court edicts, same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. abortion on demand – um, uh, uh, you know, a whole host of things. Now, this that's getting ready to come to a rapid end. This this, this uh, Kavanaugh confirmation is the last nail in the coffin because we're going to have a majority of Supreme Court justices, and I understand that right now it's on track for Donald Trump to have nominated one-eighth of the entire federal judiciary by the end of this year. It's amazing. Um, and we're, and his, his nominees have all been strict constructionist, original intent jurists, which means they all see themselves as umpires who call strikes and balls according to the strike zone that is laid down by the Constitution and by the laws of the United States. They're not going to legislate, and they're not going to compose from the bench. They're going to call balls and strikes, not create a new strike zone. It's amazing. I, so, Dr. Land, as you're talking about the one-eighth of the appointments, I really would love for you to kind of unpack for the listeners uh, what when when we talk about these other judicial appointments, they're not really making a lot of news. A couple of left leaning pundits have gotten on CNN and said he's you know he's remaking the courts for the next generation, which is something that you know if if you care about the Constitution, this is a wonderful development. I'm so glad that he's getting the, the opportunity to do this. But this is just the first year. Could you give us an estimate of how much more he'll be able to do during the remainder of his term as it pertains to these courts that have become so activist? Well, if he's done one-eighth in two years, then he'd do, let's just say he's on track, he'd do another eighth in two more years, and then, and so that's one quarter. Mm-hmm. And then if he gets uh, another term, just on average, he would have appointed half of all the judges in the federal judiciary by the time he leaves office in eight years. And, of course, there's now a functional conservative majority on the Supreme Court once Kavanaugh is confirmed. And the two oldest justices on the court are the two most liberal, Ginsburg and Breyer. And the oldest conservative is Judge is Justice Thomas, who's 70. Ginsburg is 86, and Breyer is 79. So the, you know, the actuarial tables tell us that the next two vacancies will be liberal judges who would be replaced by conservatives, which would mean that the Supreme Court would be conservative for the next 20 years. To me, this was, the, this was one of the major reasons to vote for Donald Trump, because if Mrs. Clinton had been elected, 
the Supreme Court would have been lost for 20 years. Well, now the liberals are saying it's lost to them for 20 years. Now, the difference is that, that a conservative Supreme Court is not going to try to impose its will on the American people. It's going to let the American people, through their elected representatives, pass their own laws and, and see if they confirm and conform to the Constitution. Um, you know, it's, as, as Chief Justice John Roberts said in the same-sex marriage decision uh, and, and his uh, dissenting opinion, you could turn off the lights and it would glow in the dark. He said, now this is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, this decision today has nothing whatsoever to do with the Constitution of the United States. It is five unelected lawyers seeking to impose their definition of marriage on the American people. I I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the things that was so important about yesterday's hearing was that we had this it was like these two beautiful moments. One was Senator Ted Cruz, and he was explaining why we see so many Americans protesting the Supreme Court because they see the Supreme Court as being the ultimate arbiter of law when the Supreme Court's role is actually, as you described so aptly, the balls and strikes. So, Dr. Land, how do if, – if, if the president it succeeds – well, first of all, I, I do believe Kavanaugh will be confirmed, so that will give the functional majority to the conservatives – but if there are two more justices, and he appoints them as well, the two most liberal justices, mm-hmm. will not the Congress be forced to go back to its primary role of creating law and getting it through the, the process, which means uh, you know the American people have a say, and then getting it onto the president's desk if they want to change things or right wrongs, et cetera? Yes, it'll, be, it'll restore the system. It'll restore constitutional balance to the system. And so if liberals want to change the law, they'll need to do it the old-fashioned way. Get elected to Congress and pass legislation, not do it through judicial imperial edict. So let's talk a little bit about the hearings themselves, which have uh, obviously I, – I'm actually embarrassed by the behavior of some of the people on the left side of the aisle – in their demeanor towards uh, Justice Kavanaugh, because he's he's really proven to be very even keeled, and uh, he's, he appears to be quite humble, actually, in his answers, and he seems unprovocable, which uh, Kamala Harris specifically appeared to t- attempt to provoke him to wrath on numerous occasions during her questioning. She was unable to to uh, he, he was unflappable. So, what do you see them doing? This is the last day. Uh, what do you see happening next? Well, they'll they'll try to do the same thing in the Senate, in the full Senate, when it comes up for a vote. Uh, and you know, um, since since um, the uh, since Harry Reid invoked the nuclear option for judicial nominees, it was inevitable it was going to come for Supreme Court nominees. And and frankly, um, I think that's a good thing. Um, I don't think you need a supermajority. Um, Super, a supermajority, which is required by a filibuster, is not in the Constitution. It's a Senate rule. And um, I think it probably helps for legislation because it, it causes compromise to take place. But you can't confirm part of a judge. You either confirm the judge or you don't confirm the judge. And I, I believe that that should be a simple majority. 
And so um, I believe that, Senate, that, that Judge Kavanaugh will get um, 54, 55 votes. I think in the end, when it becomes clear that he's going to get the Republican uh, votes and he's going to be confirmed, that um, Schumer and the Democrats will let some of the most vulnerable Democratic senators who are running for re-election in states that Trump's car- Trump carry between 10 and 20 points, that they'll allow them to go ahead and vote for Kavanaugh, try to protect that seat. Um, Donnelly in Indiana, um, the senator from Missouri, the senator from Montana, et cetera, mm-hmm. senator from West Virginia. That's what I was just going to ask you, Dr. Land, because I'm in Missouri. So, uh, you know, Claire McCaskill. Yes, Senator McCaskill, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you think she's actually going to – she didn't vote for Gorsuch. She, she voted against no, him. No, but I, I think that Schumer will tell her um, when it becomes clear that the Republicans have the votes, he'll tell her, look, if it'll help you get reelected, go ahead. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm I'm dying to see what she actually does because it's been she's even started saying in her campaign materials, like on television, she'll openly admit that Missouri is a red state. Um, you know, no statewide elected Democrats. What do I do? This is the hardest race I've ever run in my life. And I, I've been really surprised because she's usually so strong and firm and, you know, feminist like. So it's been interesting to see the change in her since the turn of the, uh, you know, fortunes. Well, an approaching election. Uh, focuses the attention. <laughs> we hope. I don't. I, don't, I think <laughs> it's a temporary condition, Doctor Land. So let's 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 kind of unpack a little bit. There was this awful New York Times anonymous letter, and yeah. I I've read so many things, Doctor Land, over the past like the twenty four hours or so since it came out from people who they think it's this person, they think it's that person. I really think it's immaterial who it is. The fact that the New York Times published an anonymous op-ed from a high-ranking Trump official, which could be any one of a thousand people, by the way, who are you know a political appointees who could satisfy that, that general term. Um, I think it really, this is like to me a turning point, a place where you put a pin in the timeline where we're going to see a precipitous degradation in even further than we have seen in the media coverage as it pertains to the president. Gosh, I don't even know how that was possible. Yeah, well, I, I think they over, have further down to go. Over 90% of the stories about the president have been negative. Um, the New York Times is you know, what, what, what Trump has done is he, he's caused a, a, a derangement syndrome. Uh, they, they've become addicted to anti-Trumpism, and it's caused them to expose themselves. They don't even have a semblance or even attempt at objectivity anymore, and what it's done is is uh, it's lowered the American people's trust in them. They've lost all credibility with two thirds of the American people. Um, you know, the American people are basically divided into three groups. There are the conservatives, about one third, the liberals, about one third, and about one third in the middle. And the middle decides elections, and the middle doesn't trust the media anymore. The conservatives don't trust the media, and the liberals don't, and the, and the middle doesn't trust the media. So two-thirds of the American people, they increasingly don't care what the New York Times says. They don't care what NBC and MSNBC and ABC and CBS say, and they increasingly tune them out. And so uh, they have, they, they, they're, they're losing their credibility. And this is, look, you have to understand Trump is a revolutionary figure. Uh, he is remaking American political life 
like no one has since Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt fundamentally altered the political alignment in the United States. President Trump is doing the same thing. He's creating a new Republican Party in the same way that Franklin Roosevelt created a new Democratic Party when he came in in 1933. And uh, the, the new Republican Party um, scares the, the pants off the old Republican Party. And, and this is an attempt to drain the swamp, although I think that it's very, very charitable to call it a swamp. It's a cesspool. Mm. No, I agree. It's I a agree. cesspool. And Donald Trump is draining the cesspool. Um, what, we've, what we've allowed to be created in this country over the last 40 years is a bipartisan political establishment that gives every indication, indication of existing for its own benefit and its own uh, promotion and doesn't give a whit about the American people. And the American people finally figured it out. And they finally had someone who ran for president who said, I'm on your side. And he's proving that he is. I'm enjoying it. I, I'm, I mean, I've... do you realize, that, do you realize that, that unemployment for people who don't have a high school education is lower than it's ever been in the history of the country? Unemployment for blacks, unemployment for women, unemployment for Hispanics is lower than it's ever been since they've been keeping those statistics in the country. The people who are benefiting, you know, it's not the corporations, it's, 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 it's small businesses, it's, it's uh, construction, it's blue collar. Um, the, 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 the deplorables that Hillary Clinton um, uh, made the big mistake of telling us what she really thought about them. And, I'm just and, excited and, about uh, it. It's, it's fundamentally remaking the country, and you understand that the establishment, which is a Republican and Democratic establishment, it, 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 they can feel the oxygen being taken out of their lungs, and they are fighting back with every means at their disposal. And frankly, I don't know how the president keeps going, but he does. I was there last week. I was there for a dinner last Monday night. And he's just—he's like the Energizer Bunny on steroids. He just keeps going. I'm so glad about that. I'm glad that he's got the energy to do it. Um, we're getting to the end of the segment, and I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on today, Dr. Richard Land. Um, so so wonderful to speak with you and to get your expertise on the Kavanaugh nomination and other issues of the day. Thank you, sir. Well, let's keep praying for the president. Amen. Let's pray for him, and we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We'll be back with more right after this. Stay there. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. After the journey of writing our first book, Quiet Strength, God impressed upon me and my co-author, Nathan Whitaker, that his measurement of success had little to do with sales numbers. We were blessed to have great numbers, but that's not what made the book a success in God's eyes. God's scorecard is different from ours. He doesn't judge by money, statistics, or fame, but by the state of our hearts and our desire to serve Him. God calls us to be faithful, not successful. Real success often happens behind the scenes, 
and only God can measure it accurately. The only thing that's really important is that His purposes are accomplished. New York Times best-selling author, Tony Dungy. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. My name's Brandon. I never imagined dealing drugs would end up costing my family so much. But when Teen Challenge opened the doors for me, I got the second chance I so desperately needed. Now I'm drug-free, and I'm making up for lost time. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. Y'all have encouraged us to go out, stand for the Word of God, stand politically. It's truly a blessing to hear how God is using Urban Family Talk I just want to say I love everything that Urban Family does. Will you take a moment to share your story? Call 877-327-5647. That's 877-327-5647. Thanks. Securing America. The United Nations Security Council has a new president every month. September's leader is U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley. An American theme in every way, but it will also have a Southern twist to it. Um, as basically, um, when things get intense, we smile, and when they get more intense, we smile bigger. Haley takes the post at an incredibly busy time with a fear of more chemical attacks in Syria and possible nuclear violations in North Korea, and the General Assembly drawing most of the world's leaders, including a visit from President Trump, who plans to chair a meeting on Iran's threats to world stability. Ambassador Haley says she'll need a call for action on the drug problem and is putting Russia and China on notice when it comes to supporting rogue regimes. It flies in the face of the international community for Russia and China to not follow the same rules as everyone else. As President Haley is also turning up pressure on the Arab world to step up and help the Palestinian people. At the UN, Rick Leventhal, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacey of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. This is about the closest I'll probably ever have in my life to an I am Spartacus moment. I'm Spartacus! I am Spartacus! I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. So GOP put that little bit out on online social media to uh, just add some levity to the situation about Cory Booker saying that he's Spartacus. This is the closest he's ever going to get to being Spartacus. He went really close because Spartacus was a man of war. And uh, Cory Booker's a senator from New Jersey. <laughs> Well, that's not really the same kind of guy. Sorry, it's just not. Um, I, I think maybe he feels like um, this was like a moment for him, and it was it was just a little fizzle. The same with Kamala Harris's um, weird questioning of the nominee. So I, I'm I'm all about getting, you know, exposing, getting at the truth, digging in, having these nominees answer. Um, hard questions. And I think we would see more of that if people would stop grandstanding and if they would just stop letting the protesters into the space, they should have TVs on the outside and anyone who's not, you know, an approved guest of someone who's in the space 
should be on the outside. And then those who are approved guests, I, I believe that the people that they're approved guests of should be held accountable for their behavior. So if Democrats uh, bring people in as guests and those guests turn out to be hardened protesters, that those Democrats should be called on the carpet by the committee chair and made to answer for bringing people in to disrupt the space. The fact that children, uh, the children of the nominee can't be present in the space because of the, the dangerous nature of the, the protesters, that speaks volumes. And it really looks bad. Dr. Land spoke of the third of uh, Americans who are in the middle. Whenever I meet someone who's a moderate um, and we start talking about politics, what I'm all, I, they always shock me with how they're really, really, I mean, they, they're not kidding about being in the middle. They're literally in the middle, which is such a weird place for me uh, to kind of, I, it's a place I don't really understand. I don't understand the middle. I understand the hard left and I understand being on the right. I, the middle is hard for me to really comprehend. And so I, I respect it because often when someone is really a Democrat, but they're just saying they're a moderate, once you probe them a little bit, you can hear those hard left leanings. You can hear them. They, they, start, they start sharing them. But with a true moderate, they really are, they're opposed to any kind of um, like the nastiness. They're opposed to that. People who inhabit the middle politically are the kind who they, they really just want to be left alone. And so they're kind of leave me alone on the left's obsession with social issues. They're like, leave me alone on the right's, you know, kind of working markets and capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. And they're kind of like, leave me alone on the government. They want to fund the government enough for it to work, but they don't really want to go overboard. So they're moderate. And when I talk to them, I just, I, I sometimes I feel like there's so much r respect that I have for someone who's truly able to articulate their beliefs from that part of the political spectrum. But there's also a real, it's kind of like there's just, just, just tired of, they're exhausted by, if you feel exhausted by it, people in the middle express the most vehement opposition to me personally when I talk to them over the nastiness, the, you know, not being able to be friends unless you're on the same side politically. They're the ones who most often decry that. And, and I respect that a lot. I, I know I don't agree with moderates on, you know, a ton of issues, but the moderates at least are willing to listen to both arguments and then be drawn over by the side that is better able to articulate it without resorting to name calling and losing their minds. And so in some ways, you know, listening to Dr. Land talk about this, you know, for a fact that um, it's it's this this kind of amazing phenomenon that when people get really offended by the nastiness they tend to go in the opposite direction. So it's not really that their minds have been changed per se. They're just exhausted by the, the horrible discourse. And so I think the left is doing a disservice to whatever cause they're trying to promote by allowing the nastiness to be basically the modus operandi. That's just the way things are. It's not just the way things are. We should constantly fight against that and try to have substantive productive discourse. Uh, so it's the last segment. If you want to call in, please, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. It's raining here in the Midwest, 
And uh, I mean, it's supposed to be starting today, which is Thursday. It's supposed to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's supposed to be like a monsoon here in the Midwest, which will make all of the grass that we just cut last weekend grow like crazy. And we'll also store up quite a bit of water for the, the fall and hopefully we'll save some of that for the winter months. Um, and so I, I want to get to, there's a bit of information from online about, there, there were a couple of other breaking news bits. I am always surprised by people who choose to call me during the radio show. I'm like, who doesn't know me and doesn't know that I'm unavailable during my radio show? I can't talk on the phone during the radio show. Sorry. It's just not the right thing to do. Um, and so people call, they seem like all day long I'm available. And then at like between two and four people want to call. Um, so there's, there's one of the big stories um, obviously was this New York times op-ed. And I think Dr. Land's perspective was interesting because he was saying, look, um, the people in the middle don't trust the media either. So you've got two-thirds of the American people, that's definitely a majority, not trusting the media, which means the things that they're putting out to try to influence some of those people to vote a certain way won't work. So it's not really a conservative liberal thing. It's a, hey, we don't trust the media thing. So whoever controls the media, they're, they're not getting more trust by doing these anonymous op-eds, et cetera, et cetera. And so over at the Washington Post, where democracy dies in darkness, and it's got to be pretty dark over there, they are using this op-ed to create even more traction. So articles about the op-ed. And it's, and it's a fascinating way of doing it. And, and if you look around, you see this happen a lot. One news story spawns a bunch of op-eds, and then people write about the op-eds. And that's the news cycle for a story. So it doesn't have to have any new information. It's just people's opinions about the original bit of information and what other people wrote about it. That's what they're doing here with this. And you can tell it's a coordinated media attack because it comes in as an anonymous op-ed and then immediately gets picked up by all of the news outlets who then send their op-ed writers to write about it. I wanted to kind of just, this is the way I see the, the entire thing cracking out. Um, there's been a lot of speculation and there's even like the online betting sites have picked up the story and they're now pushing out like odds it's Pence, odds it's not Pence. There's a few things we know. First of all, it's not Mike Pence who wrote this op-ed. It, it would be a, a you know, a, to refer to yesterday's show, a unicorn of epic proportions if we had, um, you know, even any inkling that it was Mike Pence. But Mike Pence has an evangelical base and he is not going to pin an anonymous op-ed as the vice president of the United States. It's just out of the question. Well, okay, let's go to the phones. Um, I, I think that the thing says Clark in Georgia. Welcome to the show. Hello, Stacey. How you doing, girl? Doing fine. How are you? Good. You're, you're like a breath of fresh air on, on the radio. I'll tell you that. I will listen to you. Um, but I, like I was telling the ladies answer the phone, I, I think as Republicans, we're actually really falling down on our job because – what we should be doing is, is the, the people that we know out here, we need to explain to them why are we a Republican? Um, you know, that we believe in God. We don't believe in abortion. We believe in keep, getting to keep our guns, you know. Uh, we believe in what's right. 
And you'll be surprised how many people that are, they say they're Democrats, they're going to tell you they believe exactly the same thing we believe. Mm. And I think we just need to educate them. You know what, Clark? I agree. I, I, in fact, I, I often say one of the things that I think is interesting is how we're kind of meek about what we believe. But the Bible doesn't talk about us being meek at all. The Bible talks about us going out courageously contending for the faith. And if we are truly holding our, you know, our, our worldview, which is it's apolitical. If you're a Christian, your worldview it really isn't about politics. It's about adhering to the word of God. And then you just find the platform that most closely mirrors what God's word tells us to do. And you faithfully try to apply that. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect because there'll be people who don't do it right. There will be politicians who make mistakes, who, who steal, rob, whatever, but you're trying to adhere to the platform and say, look, this one at least lines up with God's word on the issues that are most important, you know, self-protection, obviously the second amendment that that's important. That's in the Bible. It's biblical. And also pro-life and, and other things, just like you mentioned, I, I agree with you, Clark. We got to do a better job of selling what it is that we believe because it is right. Uh, a lot of these people that are running right now, uh, a lot of people they have no clue what they're voting for. They just say they're voting for the person because they like that person because they're a Democrat. I mean, we need to expose who these people are. If if they're if they're pro-abortion, if they're for taking God out of everything, we need to be telling that. That's what we got to do. That's our job. It is. And, uh, you know, thanks for calling, Clark. I have to say, um, one of the things that I think is most important about what Clark just said is that, so if someone's voting for someone because they like them, and, and it's regardless of the political affiliation, but that person that they like is going against what that church-going, Bible-believing Christian person is being taught on Sunday, that we're held accountable for that. Not like we're holding each other accountable, but that... God will hold us accountable. I had someone uh, send me something on, on social media saying, well, you know, God doesn't have a political party. Well, of course not. God is bigger than political parties. But we do have to answer for the decisions that we make. And voting is one of the arenas in which we make decisions on, on you know, a pretty regular basis, depending on which elections you're choosing to vote in or choosing not to vote in, which is a decision also. So um, I I don't want... I'm never going to say one political party is God's political party, but I am going to say that the Bible says the pro-life issue is of great importance to our father in heaven and that our constitution was created by individuals who all of them were Christians, people of faith, and they created it for a moral and religious people. If you don't believe me, go back and read the documents because don't shoot the messenger, y'all. Go read the documents and then take your beef up with the founders because that's what they said. The changing of that, the teaching of different things in school doesn't change the fact or the historical aspect of how this country was founded. And, and I'll just say one more thing. You know, there are so many people who get in the pew on Sundays and, you know, Wednesdays and you know, Saturdays, some, some folks, and they're in there raising their hands up and praising God and listening to the teaching and the preaching and enjoying it. And, you know, even participating in Bible studies and really, you know, living for, for Christ. But if you're not participating in the political arena, it leaves that 
that participation to people who aren't in church with you on Sunday, people who don't believe the word of God is true. So we should test the party platforms and then vote according to what God's word says. So that's not a political party. That's issue-based voting. And that is much more, um, it's a way of holding the, the actual votes accountable and making sure that they line up with what God's word says. And kind of if, if you hear me saying biblical worldview and you're thinking, I don't even, you know, what is she talking about? It's easy to find out what the biblical worldview is. In fact, let me make a note. Why don't we have a chat about that? The biblical worldview. What is it? Why do we need it? And how do we understand if we have it or not? We'll do a segment on that, maybe even two segments, and I'll see if I can get us a good guest to go along with it. Um, because it's important for us to have that. When the Barner Group does their surveys, the most recent surveys show that such a small percentage of Americans have a biblical worldview, that's really horrible for us. Um, and, and the reason it's horrible is because the Bible makes us wise. God's word is health and life to our bones. Um, he, he blesses the obedient. He rains down blessings upon the obedient. When, when we're obedient to God, he, and God's word talks about his blessings chasing us down and overflowing, like so basically running us over. So in almost every other case, I'd say 99.9% of the time, I don't want to be run over. But if you're talking about being run over by blessings, sign me up. I would love to be run over by blessings. But in order to get there, I don't have to just talk about being obedient or think about being obedient or tell other people to be obedient. I have to actually conscientiously be obedient myself. And so if we worry about ourselves and get that part lined up, we are better equipped and positioned to speak that truth into the lives of others and impact our world for Christ, which is what he wants us to do. Not politically, but the entire world for Christ, starting right here, wherever you may happen to be. All right. That's the first hour. We'll be back with hour two right after this. Stay there.